Hello and welcome to episode 119 of What Most People Think. And even even since the last podcast last week, we got the Omicron. Come on, that's not a thing, is it? I mean, that's not... I'm not buying it, man. I'm not buying it. I'm a Delta man myself, you know? I think we're trying to move on from the Delta too quickly. It's a bit like, you know when they bring out an iPhone too quickly and you go, hang on, I think the Delta is still posting pretty good numbers. I haven't seen anything from the Omicron to suggest that it's going to challenge the Delta for European uh, supremacy. So we'll be talking about all that much more later as I've got returning as co-host again is the brilliant Constantine Kissing. Welcome back to the show. Jeff, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a good, a real pleasure to be back, especially with the horrific Omicron virus, which is yet to kill anyone. <laughs> yeah, it's not really hospitalizing people. And, and they said that it might have mutated back into a cold. So there might be some kind of like circular uh, COVID Shut experience. it down. Shut it down. <laughs> it's a cold. Uh, have you had your third, fourth booster? Have you, were you Mate, on your fifth? I, I'm, I'm old school. I'm unvaxxed. You're unvaxxed. I thought yeah. you was. I thought no, you were pro-vax. No, no. Well, I am pro-vax for people who want to take it, but uh, I have already had COVID, so I've got natural immunity, so I, I don't need it. You fucking rebel, mate! You are you're off the grid. <laughs> you are off the grid, kissing. I, I am indeed off the grid. But look, I, that it's to me, it's a symptom of some of the conversations we're having that we're trying to get people to take a vaccine who already have immunity against the virus. That's one of the things that increasingly doesn't make sense to me about the current situation. You know. Yeah, but you can't go on Facebook and post your natural immunity with a little card and get loads of likes from people. That is true. I have tried to re- work that very badly, mate. <laughs> are you? How, how is life treating you, mate? Are you, are you steadfastly still refusing to be a stand-up? Yeah, I am. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I'm not really particularly having to fight it very hard. Like The lifestyle really was very difficult for me, and my life now is so much better. My wife is pregnant. Uh, she's due in oh, May. Oh, congratulations, yeah. Thanks, man, I appreciate it. So I, I don't really see myself sort of driving for four hours to do 15 minutes, you know, in Cuntington-on-Sea or whatever it is. Oh, come trip. on, it's a nice room in Cuntington-on-Sea. <laughs> mate, it, it, they're, they're a lovely bunch of 60 people on their stack. I mean, it, they are very yes. nice. Yes, it's an eight-hour drive each way. But yeah. when you get there... <laughs> They have Jaffa Cakes in the green room, so it is sort of exactly. worth it. it. It's funny because I called you on Sunday night to ask if you'd be on today. One, for a very good reason, because I'm very interested in what you've got to say about the rise in authoritarianism mm. of COVID measures in lots of Europe, which we'll come on to. But I, I sort of felt like there was very different between us. I was at that point, it was 10pm, and I was on the M4. And I was at that point, to make myself, to stop myself sliding into depression, I was sort of rationing my snacks because mm. a lot of people, idiots, like if you're a true road warrior will know that you do your first stop sandwich, second stop crisps, third stop chocolate bar. You do all that. I mean, if I get that on the first stop, I've generally finished all that food whilst I'm on the slip road, mm. coming out of the service station, trying to rejoin the motorway. Mm. So I didn't sense any envy in you is what I'm saying on a Sunday <laughs> night. No, man, look, uh, you know, w- with trigonometry, what it's become now, it's a, it's a small business now we have 
five people working for us. So there's there's a lot to do other than recording the interviews and and just generally having fun. So my, I, I, we're busy, you know, from from dusk till dawn anyway. Um, so just adding more road road travels and all of that doesn't work. And also we've started doing live shows as well. We, we're just about mm. to do our third one uh, in at the Leicester Square Theatre where, where you gig when when you're doing your tour yeah. um, in London. And uh, that that sort of adrenaline, the need for a bit of adrenaline and approval from actual physical people so that I can go home and feel good about myself, that still happens every now and again. So w- When right. is that date? Let, let's get in an early plug for that date. Well, the last it's our last live show of the year and the last one we've got booked and so far. It's uh, this Saturday, the 11th of December. The 11th. Uh, with, uh, with Aisha Canby, who's one of our favorite guests. She's like a philosopher stroke fashion stylist. Wow. That that classic Venn diagram. Exactly. Exactly. Very uh, compatible skill sets. You are you are uh, in in a unique position here, mate. Because um, I don't know. I, this is the first time I'm announcing this, but I'm going to, and there'll be some people happy about this, and there'll be some not. But I'm going to retire the cuss count here, which you've never. You were very much kind of. Although you did, after saying that you were going to be virtuous last time, you actually weighed in with one of your highest. Um, your highest inputs to date. So let's just catch up first with the cuss count from last week. I had Nick Dixon on. Uh, we had we had a fairly healthy week there with some exotic swears, including shitters and shitstorm. And the right overall rate was 0.7 uh, a minute. I don't know where Nick, uh, I think it was Nick's debut. Nick did two swears. But I think that we've had a two-year cycle now of 2019 to 2021. Romish Ranganathan is so far out in front with an average swear ratio of 26.5 an episode. So I think that we just need to honour that he is the winner. So I'm going to get a little trophy for him done, which he, he won't probably won't listen to this. So that's going to be for the Christmas <laughs> episode, which is coming up in two weeks' time. And I'm going to get it sent to him. And we and we will be looking. I've already got something in mind for a replacement for the cuss count. So I know some people will be disappointed. But, you know, things evolve. Uh, it's time to move on. The, the, the cuss count is mutating. Let's put it that way. All right, we've got a new variant of the cuss count uh, coming. Uh, new patrons, we've got uh, just Joe. So as you know, Constantine, when we have a patron that just has a single name here, we're at liberty to speculate which branch of the arts that, or uh, public services that he works in that precludes him publicly donating to an alt-right bastard like me. Mm. Well, is it J-O-E then, presumably? Because if it's J-O-E. just J- J-O-E. Uh, it could uh, be Joe the website, you know, Politics Joe. Could be. Could be. What happened with those weird... Do you remember there was like Lad Bible, Politics Joe, and there were all these sites that were quite geezerish, and then suddenly they were posting seven-minute-long takedowns of capitalism. What the <laughs> fuck happened there? <laughs> well, Joe is actually doing interviews with Douglas Murray and stuff like that. I think every, every, everything is... Man, everything is political. We somehow managed to make, like, vaccines political and uh, mask-wearing political. Like, everything has become political, and as I always say, politics ruins everything. So uh, it's, it's a bright future, Jeff. Well, I mean, just the word lad Bible. If I'm going on lad Bible, I, I don't necessarily want, want to see sort of, like, explorations of you know the process of exiting Afghanistan I want to see I want to see a woman that's got breasts that can kind of like kickstart uh, a monster truck or you know that's what I'm thinking lad bible maybe the definition of being a lad has changed mm. maybe and uh, young listeners going well obviously it has Jeff you're a fucking <laughs> dinosaur move on I, 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 a woman with breasts how dare you well what well, this is the thing now is, is I do wonder is you know we 
I, th- I think the blokes still like boobs. I've got to say, and and so the you know the fact that we, men don't look at them in a, in a, a kind of semi mainstream context, I, I don't think that fascination has gone away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, what, you don't reckon that just a few people running around screaming at men that has changed uh, thousands of years of biology, Jeff? Yeah. Well, I just I think yeah, I think you've driven it underground now, and that's what <laughs> that's why you get you know I mean the thing about right the thing about Constantine is <laughs> he, the thing about some, breasts, Constantine. The thing about breasts was like, but you, you know, with like nuts and zoo and FHM and all that sort of stuff was like you mm. had you had kind of. I don't know if it's soft porn. It was just kind of glamour modelling and type, but that that was there for the more vanilla taste. It was just looking at kind of naked forms of women. But if now that that doesn't exist, you get corralled into porn websites where the options are a lot more savage. Is, is, that, is that your excuse, Jeff? You know what happened, right? Look, love, I know you caught me watching this hardcore porn, but what actually happened? It was FHM yeah. no longer being available. Yeah, I mean, I grew up. I used to look at the lingerie section. Of the, uh, of the, I was going to say the Millets catalogue, but I don't think the Millets catalogue has a lingerie section. But there's, there's an element of truth, isn't there? If you essentially, mm. if you prohibit something, you know, it's like like drugs, you know, like for a while there were these legal highs and they kept on making them illegal and then they became, they kept changing the chemical composition. And I think essentially that's what's happened with porn is the chemical composition of porn has now changed to where, I mean, it's, it always makes me laugh when you go on like romantic porn categories and you think, well... Those titles don't sound that romantic to me. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I mean, maybe the definition of uh, of romance has changed. But so it's Joe, like super skunk, basically, is what you're saying. It's, that they, is exactly it's, what I'm saying. Thank you for helping me. My re- my reference was just going all around the houses, but yeah, porn is basically the sort of sexual equivalent of super skunk now. Mm. <laughs> Got that hydroponic shit. Uh, so Joe, yeah, he might work at a funky website. Adam Adam Bradbury. It's a classy name, that, isn't it? Adam Bradbury. Mm. I think Adam Bradbury maybe was a guy that got in a part in the very last season of Downton Abbey, I reckon. Mm. Adam Bradbury. He's got one of those real moody black and white shots. And uh, he just realised that awful thing in showbiz and entertainment is when you realise you've boarded the gravy train right at the, before the last stop. which i think a lot of people in comedy have had over the last five years yeah so yeah the benefits of being a patreon as well as having your name insulted uh, is that there's loads of content on the patreon page uh you can unlock all of that the moment that you uh sign up including old patreon only episodes of which i think that there's going to be a patreon only episode this week and also, I'm doing a set of Comedy Unleashed next week, and I'm going to try and upload some of that set uh, for you guys who can't make it down to London. And just, this, I thought this was quite nice this week, because we have uh, various people that um, sort of act as correspondents within the Patreon community. Me and Nick Dixon would talk about the fact that we sometimes go to church. As you'd expect, Constantine, I think he, mm. uh, he goes a bit more than me. He's got that, <laughs> he's got that look, isn't he? Yeah. Like, well, I didn't realise, but Nick is like well into the J-Dog, isn't he? He loves a bit of Jesus. Yeah, him, Alistair Williams is also. Uh... Yeah, yeah, that I knew about because uh, you click if you go and watch any of his content, it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly. Whereas with Nick, he sort of kept it under wraps, and then suddenly it was like, "I'm a Christian." I was like, "Oh, really?" You know, uh, but he is. He's a he's a big fan. What about? Are you a Christian, Jeff? Let me in a kind of. Did you, you nearly know, say in... a little bit? <laughs> uh, well, in a born in England, sort of have a faith. Why not? Sort of way. Yeah. I mean, like we, we've. It is funny the way that we talk about it in in 2021 as almost like he had to come out as a Christian. You mm. know, he'd mm. been living it. it. It wasn't that way. Not so long ago, uh, it would have been the opposite. But 
but yeah, I, I can I can see him I can see him getting involved with the Chris Dingle. Um, but we have a, a patron who is uh, a reverend. I'm not going to say both his names because he wasn't clear about whether he wanted me announcing that. But the Reverend Andy, and he says, I was delighted to hear that you and Nick both pop into your local church from time to time. As a Church of England minister, I often wonder about how my own political views would be perceived amongst many of my peers who are increasingly liberal and woke. I mean, yeah, we've all seen Justin Welby likes getting involved, doesn't he? You know, mm. everyone's going in above their pay grade at the moment. Um, you know, we've got kind of activist lawyers. Why wouldn't we have activists, lay preachers? Uh, oh, by the way, the episode two of this story is once I got uh, viciously trolled by... Uh, a guy on Facebook who I think thought that he had um, kind of covered his profile. When I looked into it, it turned out he was a lay preacher at a church. He's like, you know, it's all the fuck you, hope you die. <laughs> <laughs> it's what Jesus would have wanted, mate, for you to die. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you Jesus know, was I, big into that. You know, he, he loved people that he hated to just die. Especially yeah, if I mean, they voted it, the wrong way in a referendum, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Jesus, if I've got any sense of him, he'd be like one of those, you know, one of those kind of centre-left guys that, mm. that seems really cool and chilled out until you disagree with them. Yeah. like He's very <laughs> cool and chilled out, except on Facebook. It's a bit like James O'Brien, you know? <laughs> like, you go, this guy seems all right, and then suddenly, like, whoa, fucking hell, where did that come from? Um so he carries on, Andy. Uh, there's still a good number of us who haven't caved into the leftist agenda. Still believe in God and a focus on help. Still believe in God. I mean, there does come something where he has to stress as a as a minister that they still believe in God and haven't caved into the leftist agenda. Uh, he says, I wonder if I could be the official priest of the podcast. You absolutely can be that. And he he also says, um, we Nick and I mentioned the Chris Dingle. I don't know if you've ever been to church in this country around Christmas. We've got this weird thing with oranges and they stick kind of sweets in it, and it's it's a bit strange. And and the word Chris Dingle always sort of makes me smirk because it sounds like dingle, dinkle. It sounds like a willy thing. Mm. And it's like, you know, who will hold the Chris Dingle? I just haven't got past that sort of like nine-year-old boy that thinks that's fairly hilarious. And then it turns out that it helps raise money for the Children's Society. Um, so all, Andy would encourage all of our listeners to go and support their local Chris Dingle, okay? The Chris Dingle this Christmas. You don't have to believe in God. Just go and, you know, just do it. I mean, let's be honest. Come on. Just, I'm, just I'm look not at sure it. that's the message the good reverend would have wanted to take away from this. You don't um, have to believe in God, but give them money. Mate, the Church of England will take <laughs> it from wherever they can get it. They're like the fucking Lib Dems. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're, you know the Lib Dems, like you slag them off and then people go, oh my God, like that was so harsh on Lib Dems. You go, just be aware, they're happy to be spoken about. So... Mm. Do you, do you think that the, the think about it like as a, as a comic, if you was doing a run in Edinburgh, right, and there was this one night of the week where normally you're doing houses of about like 18 people and then one night you've got a sellout, would you be going, oh, they've only come because it's kind of two for one Tuesday, mm. you know, or they've only come because it's Christmas Eve? No, you'd be going, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm going to have a good gig tonight. These mm. but yeah, it's word of mouth when it comes to <laughs> Edinburgh Fringe, religion, it's all the same. It's about word of mouth. So let's look at the subjects that we're going to be talking about here. As I already teased there, we've got the succession of authoritarian reactions in particularly Central and Northern Europe. Uh, and then also, just briefly as well, talk about the government who basically last weekend seemed like they went and had a dodgy policy curry and then spent the weekend splattering the walls with shit ideas. I mean, it just was. it's clear that someone in government, just got a bit spooked by the polling figures. And we just, you had Rishi shaking hands with soldiers. You had Liz, Liz, Liz Truss in a tank. 
yeah, Boris dressing up as a copper. I mean, it really was uh, fairly desperate stuff. So we'll be talking about all of that. But just before we get into it, uh, thank you uh, and a fuck you. Thank you. The uh, Look, if there's one thing that's going to save my December is this. The ashes starts tonight as I'm recording it. So probably by the time this is even uploaded, all hope will have been lost. Joe Root will have probably been kind of like run over by uh, the thing that they used to flatten the pitch. Uh, Ollie Robinson will probably not have only had surface more racist tweets. It will turn out that he is actually a, a sort of like fully paid member of the neo-Nazis. <laughs> but as I, as I say, I've got cricket in December and it's a brilliant distraction. And also at the end of December, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, Constantine, but the Book of Boba Fett miniseries gets going. And it's quite incredible with the character of Boba Fett is that he actually only appeared on the in the original trilogy for like five minutes on screen. Mm. But built this mythology... To the point where you just start thinking, with Star Wars, eventually everything's going to have its own miniseries. You know, Princess Princess Leia, the woman that did Princess Leia's hair in the first one, you know, the two buns, she'll have her own miniseries. Mm. But I've got high hopes of this. So I'm thanking in advance, which is always uh, tempting fate. But A Fuck You is about Megan. So she won this court ruling against uh, the mail on sunday so this was that that she published uh, they published a private letter to her dad thomas markle so she won quite comprehensively she won the case in the end but there was some interesting stuff that came about in the course of it one one that the letter was basically written by a committee did you see this no, no so there no, was some no, real i haven't followed it so it's just an innocent personal private letter to her dad that happened to be written by some of the greatest PR minds in the country, right? <laughs> there was an incredible level of science in it where they, they made sure that every sentence naturally ran onto the next so you couldn't quote it out of context. So there's a part of me that goes cynical and another part of me goes, what are their hourly rates? Mm. You know, that's, 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 pretty... that's literally what I was thinking as you said it. Like that sounds like a great thing to get some advice on. Well, you know, when when they fully go for the cancellation of trigonometry, I think you're going to have to when when you have to like lawyer up, um, <laughs> <laughs> lawyer but up. But she, I, I she, don't know um, what we'd have. I don't know what we'd have to lawyer up for. It's like it's an interesting thing because we are waiting for like the Guardian to do an expose on us. Do you know what I mean? Because it will mm. happen at some point. Uh, yeah. And and it, um, I, I I I'm curious. I'm I'm kind of excited about it to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there will be something quite enjoyable about that process, and I'm just waiting to see what what happens. But lawyering up, I hadn't considered. Look, well, I mean, you're gonna you you get Toby Young's Free Speech Union, mate. That'll mm. be you know. But they they I mean, not that that would endear you to the Guardian any further. No. Uh, Do you know we nearly we once nearly got sued by uh, a lesbian magazine. Uh, they threatened to sue us uh, because one of our guests, Graham Linehan, actually, uh, had said mm. something about one of the people involved anyway. So we just woke up one day and I had a message on my Twitter DMs from a woman saying, give me your address. I'm suing you on behalf of Pink News or or whatever the hell it was called. <laughs> I, I love the way that these these publications have such on-the-nose names, don't they? Yeah. They. It, um, I went, when I was quite... It was not Pink so, News, sorry. It was Diva Magazine. Diva Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Volvo Weekly. I mean, like they they tend to go for the names. I remember I once went to a gay club that was called Hard On. Literally, right. no fucking about. Yeah, just called Hard On. And yeah, I mean, look, look, put it this way, it it was on brand. It was on brand. Um, while, while we mention this, uh, we'll go back to the Megan thing shortly. But we have had this uh, announcement that that the courts or, or the government are going to protect gender critical 
views, right? Mm. The discourse in and around what constitutes to be a woman. And like, well, I think we've had this chat chatting away before, but I, I do think that it is kind of odd that we have to legislate or certainly make an announcement that there are a lot of women that think that the biological experience of being female from birth is slightly different to having become female at a later point in life. It's right? disgusting, but, isn't it, mate? Just unbelievable. I, but I mean, it I just when you say it like that, that that's just, <laughs> but that's essentially, you know, even if you don't get involved in the reads of the argument, that is it, isn't it? That they think that there's something fundamentally different about having been a woman for all your life. And yes, not all women are have wombs for all their life or not all women menstruate, but they think that that is different, right? That is, and and there, there's no doubt there's women within that discourse who possibly do have a vendetta against uh, uh, trans people. I'm going to guess that it's not the majority, mm. you know? Um, so it is, it is again, one of these fascinating things where uh, stuff that seems very logical to a lot of people is like a landmark ruling. Well, I actually media. think it's, it's even simpler than that, Jeff, if, if I'm honest. And you know we've interviewed a bunch of people, trans people on our show about this. I actually think it's a lot simpler than that, which is, I mean, the concept of gender is a bit of an artificial creation, really. Like, biology is is what you are. Your genes determine that, unfortunately. I know we all want to be something that we want to, you know, imagine and whatever. But the reality is you're either male or female. And that mm. comes from your biology. So when, when you know, when these uh, gender-critical women make this point, I just think they're operating on that basis. And uh, you you know me, I'm just like you. I, I always think it's important to be compassionate to people and to be empathetic to the situation. But I also think we've gone slightly too far now in the direction of pretending things are true because it it, it makes people feel better when in reality we know they're not. And, and the consequences, unfortunately, are very significant. You're, you're seeing now uh, large numbers of people detransitioning. So they've had surgery, they've taken hormones, and now they're having to reverse that. There's there's a lot of serious issues involved uh, with it, obviously women's sport, et cetera. So uh, yeah, I just, I, I am becoming more radicalized on this issue, but not in any sort of angry way. I just, I think I've, I've got a lot more clarity about what's going on. Uh, and mm. I just feel like biology is what it is and there's not much we can do about it, you know? And I think that's how yeah. a lot of these women feel too. I think, yeah, I think it's fair to say that you, I think that's a good way of putting it, is that you can have a strong opinion without holding any animosity or antipathy mm. to the people that disagree. Well, mm. I say you could. I mean, that's, that's the fucking theory. Isn't it? Mm. Let's see how it plays out. <laughs> if you want to email in and respond to anything that Constantine said, which I'll respond to in next week's show, what most people think, UK at gmail.com. Um, just quickly returning to Megan. So mm. this is the thing about Megan. So she's won her ruling and then she uh, then she did a quote on the, the steps of the court outside, probably on Twitter. Uh, she said, this is a victory, not just for me, but for anyone who has ever felt scared to stand up for what was right. OK, love, it's not the end of a film here. OK, this isn't fucking A Few Good Men or whatever, or Kramer versus Kramer or Erin Brockovich. This is she at every point. She's just she's just she's an actor. That's what they do. They pretend. Right. You know, they, they take moments and try and imbue them with something that wasn't there. So I do think that, you know, while she's won her case, I think that the 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 reality of what that marriage is and what it is as a business entity, if you've been paying attention to it, it's pretty dark, man. And I do think that there was that point where they went to Canada. I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, they wanted to live a more private life. I was like, yeah, fair enough, man. They're doing it. And then they moved to LA. <laughs> and I think that that pretty much is where most of us, we move somewhere else as well. 
Okay, right, let's get into the first chat, which is about COVID authoritarianism. All right, I'm going to start off this by being really controversial, Candice. Candice, sorry. Um, I'm going to start Candice. this by being Who's Candice, really... Jeff? No, 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 well, no, no. no. We, we're, not, we're not moving past this, Jeff. Who's Candice? We, 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 luckily for me and my marriage, I do have a reason for why I said that. <laughs> uh, so I'm often, you know, I have a reputation for being a bit of a pussycat and a bit, a bit tame on this side of the political comedy fence. But I'm going to start off by really taking a risk here and reading out a quote from Candace Owens, who is quite a controversial mm. figure. Well, I mean, she's a controversial figure in America and a lot of people are aware of her here. It's fair to say that she's on the cultural and political right. And she says this, experts told you if you complied with lockdowns, censorship, masks and vaccinations, life would return to normal. Conspiracy theorists, inverted commas, told you COVID was never going to end, never going to end, and governments would use it to usher in a totalian new world order. Who do you believe now? Now, just the way she, that she put that, as much as I take the piss out of conspiracy theorists, as much as it kind of winds me up the way that they can always come up with a convenient fucking put a bow on it answer, there's a lot of truth about what she's saying there, isn't there? The, the, if you look at the beginning of this, where, where a lot of people are saying, oh, this will become vaccine passports, this will become compulsory, not even maybe nine months ago, that was described as a conspiracy mm. theory, and yet here we are. Where are you at with all this? Well, if we, I, I'll address that in a second. But Jeff, if you just zoom out for a second and think about the sort of things that have happened in the last four or five years, I mean, you, I, I remind you that uh, according to the official media narrative, Donald Trump was elected because of the Russians, as always, right? Brexit happened partly due to the Russians, as always. There was all of the stuff that the media were telling us that was true that actually turned out to be a conspiracy theory, completely untrue, completely bogus, made up, no evidence. The guy behind the Steele dossier, which was the dossier uh, on which the allegations about Trump and Russia were made, is now, being, is now going to prison. Right. So we've had years and years of government media sponsored government authorized conspiracy theory. And now what you're seeing is a lot of the people who look, I, I, I laugh at conspiracy theories as well when they're of the sort of David Icke 5G causes COVID variety. But the, the, the idea that governments won't use an opportunity like this to seize more power, that's not a conspiracy theory. It's just a fact. And, and you're seeing it happen, you know, Germany. Austria, Czech, Czech Republic, these are all countries that are se segregating the unvaccinated from the vaccinated. They're talking about mandatory vaccinations from early next year. Um, you know, and I, I hate to be serious about it, but the truth is I don't find it very funny because to me, this is absolutely terrifying. It is absolutely mm. terrifying. The moment the government starts saying, we have a right to inject things into your body that you choose not to put in there because for whatever reason, um, that to me is terrifying. Uh, and that, that is crossing a line that, that should never be crossed. You know, your bodily autonomy, it's that whole left-wing thing of my body, my choice. And I, I'm amazed that all these people who would normally chant that and have placards with my body, my choice, don't get that concept now. Oh, man, it's almost like the people that were talking about the economic harm of Brexit suddenly forgot about that when lockdowns caused a 20-point drop in GDP mm. in one quarter. Mm. So we, we, uh, we all move arguments. I mean, let's just, let's just reflect on what measures there are. As far as I know, I mean, there are some version of vaccine passports in most major European countries. Mm -hmm. So that would be France, Germany, 
uh, Austria, Italy, I think. Yeah, oh, Italy's terrible that way. Yeah, very, very hardcore. We have some audience members from uh, Italy. Uh, I don't think so. I'm not sure about Spain, but uh, they've gone one step further. Lockdowns for the unvaccinated in Austria and Germany, uh, compulsory vaccinations in Austria, and also, well, it's quite clear that the German government will bang up for banging a needle in, into the arm. I mean, they're just, they just they can't wait. They can't wait. So, you know, I mean, like, I mean, I know, like, it's an old hoary joke about Austria and Germany. I mean, look, there, there's certain jokes that, that you can make here, but it is really troubling. I mean, you know, you come, you grew up in an authoritarian country. Do you think that that makes you perhaps more disillusioned by these developments? Well, I, I, I mean, maybe, I, maybe it's that, but it's also, I think that I'm sort of paying attention to, you know, I'm historic trying to educate myself about the history of all of these things. And if you think about it, you know the the people who were who were segregating people based on their various characteristics, the people who were forcing people to have medical procedures, the people who were organizing camps and all of this other stuff. They they, they they're still alive. Some of those people. My grandmother is one of them. Mm. Right, she's ninety five years old. She experienced the Second World War. Um, so we are just those same people. We just got smartphone now. So so the idea that we are starting to to apply some of the same actions towards people look at the way that people who are not vaccinated have been demonized uh, in recent weeks to me it's just been absolutely shocking and i think the, the reason that's happening is politicians desperately want the scapegoat scapegoat for everything we've gone through over the last two years not to be them and so it's convenient it's very convenient if you can blame everything that's happened on this small group of people who are quote unquote not following the rules you know but mm. but actually those people aren't the reason we had a pandemic. Those people aren't the reason that the, the large numbers of people died. The vast majority of people died last year during the big peak, right? We're not seeing mm. mass hospitalizations or, or mass death or, or anything like that at the moment. Uh, so it's the, the, the quote-unquote unvaccinated aren't really causing any of this, but they're, they're copying all the blame because I think it really suits politicians to direct everyone's anger so that we forget the 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 scandals around PPE. We forget the Matt Hancock. We forget the Dominic Cummings. We forget all that other stuff, and we just mm. focus on this abstract group of people who we can point the finger at and go, "Well, there, that's the bad guys." I'm old enough to remember when the only people that we blamed were sunbathers on Bournemouth Beach. Hey, I'm old school. Remember mm, that? Mm, that mm. was the only people that the public rounded on, or the people doing conger on VE Day. Mm. And then we saw. Even then, I thought that's a bit rough, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, God, little did I know that the, the you know. So, so just over a year from then, we would have a, this phrase, the unvaccinated, mm. which I have to say sounds like from the makers of The Purge yeah. comes the unvaccinated. For one day of the year, you can go and stick whatever you want in their arms. The unvaccinated, they're coming for you. I mean, there is there is this sort of like psychodrama element even about that name, isn't it? Mm. There is. And the other thing about it is, you know, you're looking at... Seg so, first of all, you're scapegoating a minority of people. We've seen that before in history. Then you're segregating people, right? You're saying mm. in Austria and in, in other places, the unvaccinated can't leave their house, except for a certain number of things. In Germany, they're banning people who are not vaccinated from shops. And by the way, Jeff, none of this makes any sense because it's not a sterilizing vaccine. You can still catch COVID. You can still infect other people. There's mm. a study that was covered by Bloomberg only a few weeks ago, which shows that in indoor environments, which is where COVID is mostly transmitted, you are just as likely to transmit it if you've been vaccinated as if you're not, right? So the, the rationale for any, none of for these restrictions doesn't really make any sense. 
Um, and so why are they doing it? This is the thing, because I, I don't generally hold politicians in complete contempt. Mm. You know, I, I don't mm. think that they're necessarily to deliberately no. make things bad. But and yet my, a lot of Western democracies have done more or less the same thing. So what is the reason? Is it a kind of form of mass hysteria or, or kind of safety in numbers, maybe that if we all did the same stuff, then we all made the same mistake? I think what it is, Jeff, is that, you know, it's going to sound weird coming from a Russian, but the big problem with democracy is, <laughs> no, look, the big problem with democracy is, is that politicians are vulnerable to the public. And that's mm. why democracy is representative to some extent, right? The politicians are vulnerable there, therefore they have to answer to us, right? And they fear our reaction. Now, what's happened over the last two years is because initially we had no idea how bad this virus is. And I was one of the people who was saying, you know, during the first lockdown, we must all pull together. We must all follow the rules. We must all stick to this because this is the moment when we need some solidarity to get through this thing that we don't know what it is. Right. Mm. And during that period of the time, we had a, a, a woman on our show called Laura Dodsworth. She wrote a book called The State of Fear, mm. A State of Fear. She talks about the fact that government weaponized behavioral science to scare people massively into treating this virus very seriously. And that may have been necessary to some extent to, to get people not to take the piss initially. But unfortunately, one of the consequences of that is people are now massively overly scared of this virus compared to its actual effects on society, to the number of people it affects, to, mm. to how many people die from it, et cetera. So you've got this massive fear in the public, which the government have created. And now the government fear the public who fear the virus. And so they have to do everything. That's why every time you watch a Boris Johnson press conference, all the questions from the mainstream media, why is it not harder? Why is it not deeper? Why is it not faster? Questions you and I are both familiar with, right? Mm. It's, it's all of that stuff. Uh, because the, the, the environment that we've created is this massive overrepresentation. Just final point on this, you know, there was a study in America recently which found that people who watch CNN think that if you catch COVID, you're, you're like 40 or 50% likely to go to hospital mm. when the reality is it's like 1% or even less. People have been people have been terrified and politicians now, they're not catering to reality, they're catering to the fear that the public have. What most people think. Do you think, you know, we're, we're, it's almost like a box of tricks that governments have opened whereby they can take quite interventionist action. Do you think that they get off on it on some level? You know, like it must be quite a thing to kind of pass down a decree and then just look at the numbers and go, see that, babe? I did that. Look at look at that. Mm. Look at that motorway. Empty. Guess why? Me. <laughs> yeah. Do you want do you want do you want to know what power looks like? Okay. I'm gonna I'm just randomly, I'm just gonna just uh, I'm gonna say all hairdressers need to shut. Two weeks time everyone will have shit hair. Why? That's me. That is power. Mm. I mean they I don't think you know, I am not the world's greatest anarchist, but I, I've always thought, I can remember this even from a teenager, was that, that governments, once they've got a power, they don't they don't tend to give it back, do they? You know, because it's just another lever to do their job. If you think about it that way, it's just, it, yeah. does it make their job easier to just be able to kind of take large-scale, unaccountable actions? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, if you, if you believe that the solution to people's problems is more government, which a lot of people in government yeah. do, obviously, because it makes, it makes perfect logical sense for them to believe that because that's how they keep their job, then, of course, vaccine passports are not really about vaccines, right? They are about creating the infrastructure to help people, quote-unquote, I'm using inverted commas, with their health, right? Because mm. if you had a passport that, that tracks your health, well, why wouldn't you track people's obesity and exercise habits and, and all sorts of other things that allow you to, again, quote-unquote, make their lives better, make their lives healthier, make their lives easier? So 
the government will always want more powers. I don't happen to think in this instance, you know, Boris Johnson is sitting there just jerking himself off to the possibility of closing hairdressers. He's jerking just, himself off, though. Can we admit that? The whatever office yeah, he's well, in. Yeah, we can definitely admit yeah, that. I fine. think he's definitely doing that uh, anytime Carrie lets him. But, um, you know, the, apart from that, I do just genuinely think the politicians are scared of the public or scared of the virus because the politicians told the public to be scared of it. Uh, and, and now we are. Well, I think, I mean, if you look at the, the horsemen of the Tory or conservative apocalypse, right, at this point in time, just think about how far we've come. If a year ago, even, or two years ago, on the, let's go back to the night of the 2019 general election, that the right the right wingers would be pissed off with Boris Johnson and Andrew Neil. I mean, none of us saw this coming. So if you haven't caught up with this, Andrew Neil, absolutely brilliant journalist, uh, you know, remain still a fan of his, but he he sort of tweeted that vaccine passports were a good thing and that they work very well. And then the right were just like the the light fell from their eyes. I mean, if this is the th- the second horseman of the Tory apocalypse, I think the third is going to be like Jacob Rees-Mogg smoking roll-ups or something. You know, there'll just <laughs> there'll just be a certain kind of standards. Like Theresa May actually doing a decent moonwalk. You know, there'll be there, it just seemed inconceivable that someone like him could take this point of view. And um, is there a, a danger here that people get so radicalised where they they I, I saw a lot of right-wing people going, well, I guess that's him finished now. I'm going, don't sound like the left. That's what the left do, where they go, I know, man. You know, there's one opinion that you didn't like for a guy that's had a a prestigious and, you know, exalted career over many years. Let's not dip into that. Well, yeah, and we see the same thing. You know, we interviewed David Starkey, obviously controversial historian, Mm -hmm. uh, for a bit. And and what happened was when we interviewed him, this... Uh, this guy wrote an article in Breitbart because David Starkey's in favor, as it turns out, of mandatory vaccinations. Surprised me. Mm. We had a bit of a, a debate about it back and forth. And at the end of it, he was like, well, let's agree to disagree on this, Constantine. And I was like, great, fine. That's what human beings do, right? <laughs> They've mm. got different opinions. Uh, but, but you know, people are like, he's not one of us, cancel him. And I just go, you guys are really not very consistent on this issue, you know? Uh, but I, I actually think, you know, there's a lot of people on the left also who are against all of this mandatory stuff, who see the, the authoritarianism. I actually don't think right and left are necessarily the useful breakdown mm. of how to look at it. I think there are a lot of people who are anti-authoritarian, like me and you, even though in many, in many other political issues, I think you and I probably differ. Uh, and there are people who, who don't mind a bit of authoritarianism. And there's a lot of conservatives if you think about the stereotypical conservative, it's not actually the sort of more liberty-oriented mm. approach. It's more like law, order, you know, solidarity, yeah. social compliance, conformity. And that's the split I think you're seeing on the right, is there are some people on the right, like Starkey, like perhaps Andrew Neil, like others, who, who feel that, you know, in, in, in a pandemic, that, that's what you do. You all pull together and you do what the government tells you. Uh, and equally, of course, there are some people on the left like that because the left has become much more in favor of authoritarianism in, in recent years, or at least that faction of the left is now dominating the conversation. But there's a lot of people left and right who, who don't support this at all. Um, and I actually think that's really, at this point in time, the new split. It, it's mm. are you 
are you libertarian or are you authoritarian? And so, well, I mean, I think broadly speaking, throughout this pandemic in Britain, the public have surprised me by being more authoritarian than I thought. Sure. However, if you look at recent polling now, if you look at what people want to keep open and the measures that they don't want to see come back, it's quite clearly moved a lot. I mean, people mm. generally want to keep the pubs open. They don't want social distancing uh, to return. They don't want to be told, you know, like where, whose house they can go in and stuff like that. So that's, I mean, obviously everyone still wants the nightclubs to, sh- to shut. It's, it's clear there's only <laughs> about fucking seven percent of the country that would even go near uh, a, a nightclub so i think that that has changed and i think like just one final point what is odd is when you get the same people who seem in favor of giving governments more power they're often the same people that say that first past the post means that we're doomed to permanent to- tory rule you go mm-hmm. okay so you want to give all the all the toys in the box to the people that you think are incompetent evil are going to be in power forever. You know, I mean, the Tories, they've folded on so much in terms of their brand. Actually, this is just just one final point I'd be interested mm. to get your view on on this subject. If they fold, at the moment, they have done quite a lot of authoritarian stuff. But for now, we don't have vaccine passports and mm. we don't have vac- uh, lockdowns mm. for the unvaccinated. I mean, how important is there is it for them to not fold on this? Because if they do that, what is in it? for people on the kind of libertarian right? I mean, they're, they're done, aren't they? I mean, that that is it. I, I would have thought so, but uh, but equally, as I say, if the if the public, the rest of the public are demanding these things, because you've got to remember, people react to the circumstances of the day, literally day mm. by day. So right now, you're seeing Austria, Germany, a couple of other countries. You've got vaccine passports in a few countries, mm. but imagine all of Europe, every single country in the European Union, or, the, or certainly Western and Northern Europe and Southern Europe, perhaps. Let's say they all do this, right? Because Greece is fining unvaccinated pensioners 100 euros a month if mm. they don't take the, <laughs> the vaccine, right? Uh, where, where Greek pensioners are going to find 100 euros a month from, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I knew we'd end up blaming Greek, Greek pensioners again. Do you remember in the credit crunch, they got it yeah. in the neck? Finally, it's come full circle. It's all their fault, May, and they're going to get the 100 euros from Germany. But look, the, the, the point is, Let's say all of Europe does this. Let's say Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland do this. And we've seen Scotland and Wales are very happy to to proceed down this path. And Britain is the lone voice of quote-unquote libertarianism in in Western Europe. England, before we get letters. England. England. (laughs) Sorry, England. Um, Exactly. You know, do you really think Boris Johnson is going to stand up to... No. No, of course he's going to fold. Mm. Of course he's going to fold. I, I don't. I don't see if that's the situation we get to. I have no. I don't see how he's going to. How he's going to stand up to the media, which is going to be calling him for him to do this. He, how he's going to stand up to the, to the public, a lot of whom will be calling for him to do this as well. Mm. Um, so that's why I'm very worried about, it, and that's why I'm, I'm speaking out about it quite aggressively. I see that if this is not stopped in Europe, it is definitely coming here, and it will happen in England as well, and that terrifies me. Okay, just a quick hype on the tour. I know some of you are sitting in your houses thinking, oh, the Omicron, Jeff, why would I buy tour tickets for next year? Well, if you want to come to the first three dates now, Crawley, Aylesbury and Brighton, they're all over 70% sold. So, you know, they've been selling in the last couple of weeks. I think that the public are smart. My crowd are smart enough to realise Omicron is going to be a pussycat, mate. It's going to come and go. It's going to be like fucking, do you know what I mean? S-Club Juniors. We just what did, Was that even a thing? The Omicron thing, we'll be embarrassed that we even thought it was going to be a thing. So uh, a mention for a couple of other tour dates as well, Portsmouth and Sheffield. We're going to Sheffield, all right? People telling me I can't sell tickets in Sheffield. They'll say, oh, you go, you go in Sheffield, good luck, 
All right. Well, there are some tickets sold. It's a big room. We could definitely do with some more. Uh, Constantine, I know you've got that live date for Trigonometry coming up at the brilliant Leicester Square Theatre. Any other recent sort of interviews on YouTube that people should be particularly check out? Well, we've, we've done a few really good ones. We had a YouTuber, uh, Richard Grannon, on the show recently, and that interview has done really, really well. We talk about narcissism, which there's a lot of around, and also kind of some of the stuff you and I have touched on in terms of restrictions on unvaccinated people and stuff. And uh, interestingly, we just had a, a British historian talking about communism and the gulags, uh, which is a nice uplifting episode, obviously. Uh, yeah. But, you know, close to my heart, if you want to, if you hate me, if you are a hater, if you listen to this and you think I like Jeff because he's nice and soft and cuddly and that constant and twat, you can see me cry by watching the Giles UD interview on YouTube uh, talking about communism and the gulags because it's, it's something my family were, were heavily involved in, unfortunately. Uh, I say involved and sounds like they were the ones doing it. No, they were victims That's of the That's why the Kissings came to Britain. Yeah, not quite, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just flee, fleeing the consequences of their actions. Uh, we're going to crack on do the next story in the letter quickly because we're getting towards the hour here and Constantine is a busy man. Um, we mentioned earlier the, the policy uh, <laughs> diarrhoea that the government had. And of course, one of the old staples of any sort of like sitting administration is war on drugs. OK, like Boris has basically gone, I want to do a dawn raid. Yeah. I want to do a dawn raid. I want to be there, you know, in that bl- that sort of like soupy blackness of the early morning. He didn't really work out what he'd look like in the police club. And I did do a tweet which did quite well that said he looked like uh, the steward in the away end of a non-league club. You know, one of those weird mm, mm. guys there that just looks like he's on day release or something. Um, <laughs> and, and, and there was a, a number of headlines that came out of this, which was one of one, which I thought was hilarious. Drug sentences more severe for middle-class cocaine users. It's just the most fucking mental... You can't do that in law. That is not a thing. Yeah. Yeah, how are you going to... You're going to have a different criminal justice system for middle-class people. How do you even work out who's what class? Well, when they arrest them, if they've got a bit of Charlie on them, and then you just go, cool, blimey, Governor, I didn't even realise that was in my pocket, Mary Poppins. Oh, <laughs> I was sticking that right up me Utah. I've had a pot noodle in me time. I mean, it's just... It's the most fucking ridiculous thing. You can't... You can't... I mean, look... Uh, I mean, just, as a Russian Jewish man, I'm not sure I'll be able to get away with that, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly if it's not if it's a left wing copper, they were like, "You're just, you're, just me, do, just me doing a Cockney accent." It, it, I mean, it just. I, I mean, what you what you'd also get is is lawyers that will then be kind of their whole goal will be to prove that their client is working class. Can I just submit mm. for the record here some video footage of my client at a wedding in the early '90s doing "Oops Up." That was quite clearly, you can see there, just rock the footage back there. Yeah, oops up. He's tapping on both sides. Constantine, do you know what oops up is? I'm sensing a blankness. And not just because you didn't laugh, I could just see the blankness. Oops up is a working class thing at weddings where everyone sits on the floor and goes, everybody say oops up, sad your head, and you kind of tap from one side to the other. Oh, why do you do that, Jeff? Why, <laughs> mate, why do we eat buffets that are all the same colour? Because it's good. It's good. I fucking, you look, I mean, like, let's make it a bit more like high idea, but I fucking love a beige buffet. It's coming up to Christmas. That nothing beats a, a buffet where you've got 18 different foodstuffs and one colour. Yeah? Because mm. then it's all about the dips. This is England. This is, this is, I mean, I am. People think that I crank this stuff up, and I do like the old fancy food. I won't lie, but I'm never happier than when I've got an Iceland fucking prawn tempura 
oven oven baked porn tempura with I'm, I'm going to start salivating here. I need to move on. But <laughs> the, one, just a couple of more things coming out of this is mm. is this County Lions gang. So c- mm. could we pick a more kind of uh, serious sounding name for these these hard ass gangs? Is it just me or does County Lions sound like a pamphlet from the Parish Council? Yeah, or, or like some kind of shit BBC drama, like about something that, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you don't even know what it's about. It's just something that happens outside the big cities. A, sh- a shit British version of Parks and Recreation. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Look, yeah, I agree with you. I agree. I agree. These are obviously actually very serious uh, things and the name doesn't do it justice. But you know, on this, on this other thing is like, I'm, whatever restrictions people apply, I just think they should apply equally, right? So for example, if you're going to, if you're going to, uh, with the COVID stuff, if you're going to target people who are unvaccinated because they're an extra drain on the NHS, mm. we've got to do the same for obesity. I'm just saying, mm. right? And it's the same here. If we're going to have some kind of new restrictions on drug users, I want the cabinet to go in every morning and get a nice little test and all the media as well. And mm. let's see how long this policy idea lasts. You know what I mean? Well, they, there's an old phrase about why don't, why don't you drug test teachers? Because there wouldn't mm. be any teachers. Right, mm. that is. You've mm. got to be careful uh, what you what you wish for. It is just so. It's just such a like. They, I feel like it's a very old fashioned playbook here. I feel you know if we talk about what most people think, I think the public have possibly moved on a bit in terms of their idea of drugs legislation. Mm. But the government, and I don't think it would be any different if Labour win. They're just running scared of one of the main tabloids accusing them of being soft on drugs, right? And they just think, oh well, this. I mean, oh, it's pretty kind of um, naive. They think, well. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's pretty naive because they just think, oh, this will play out really well in the Red Wall. They like law and order. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's this. Do you know what I mean? No. Well, what they mean by law and order is reducing crime. And, and maybe turning up to like uh, muggings and violent attacks and burglaries when they happen. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Instead of policing hate speech online and all of this nonsense about targeting middle class. Like Sean Bailey, who ran for London mayor as a conservative. This is one of the things that totally lost... Uh, any credibility, I think, with a lot of people with him. He started talking about how we've got to crack down on drugs. Look, the entire cabinet have basically admitted there may be one or two, yeah. you know, Puritans in there taking serious drugs, drugs I've never taken, right? Oh, yeah, the them, last but... conservative leadership thing, it was almost like a game of top trumps. And I think Rory <laughs> Stewart won in the end with fucking opium. Yeah, exactly. So, so you've got these people who all admit to taking hard drugs now, quote unquote, cracking down. What are you talking about? Maybe it's that they, it's the only way that they can go clean. They've decided that they they <laughs> they basically uh, had the way to... to kick the habit is to stop everyone doing it. Yeah, yeah. And another thing is, I just don't know if we need any more state interference with our in our lives. I think this would be one area we need to make some money. We could do with uh, freeing up police time to actually respond to burglaries. So maybe maybe legalize drugs. How about that? Maybe mm. go the other way. And also decriminalise most of your cabinet. <laughs> uh, just one letter here. One letter here. This is from a patron called Maddie. And remember, if you are a patron, you can message me directly. It says, she says, hey, up, Jeff. Really enjoying the pod. Uh, my question comes from the episode with Nick Dixon. Right towards the end, you mentioned that the government... And employers are mandating vaccines for jobs. Is this something you would march over? Uh, so my question is, what else would drive you to march and protest? 
Um, it, do, do, I mean, I, I'd imagine that you would march for this, Constantine. Well, I mean, you say that. Think about nurses and other medical staff. They're, they're already in that situation, uh, and I haven't marched to my great shame. Mm. I just the problem is that I'm a, a child of the Iraq War generation, so. I don't really have much faith in marching. It doesn't seem to have worked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there were millions of people on the street, but certainly I oppose it. I oppose it very, very strongly, which basically constitutes me tweeting about it every now and again. I mean, it would be great content for Insta, right? You know, I mean, let's just be cynical mm. about it. If I went there, you know, and if we're lucky, a couple of people might recognise us and then we, you know, we get a few... I mean, let's just look at it from a business point of view. What's in? <laughs> you got to start thinking more like a, a conservative, mate. What's in this for us? All right, this is why you're only yeah. you're only ever a floating voter. I'm thinking about how can I make this work. And she, I think you know what's interesting. Just uh, there is a person very close to me who who is he's largely apolitical. I would say not that, it, but she said she would march over this, and I thought that was really interesting. That, that, it, that I wonder how many other people for whom this is like, in terms of the British psyche, this would pierce something quite fundamental. So there's a mm. serious point. She also says, what else would drive you to march and protest? Uh, if it, This thing where they bring you tea, but they bring the hot water, the tea bag and the milk separately, and basically are going, you fucking do it. I go, Look, if I'm paying like £2.70 for a cup of tea, I, I'm thinking that's parts and labour, okay? So just like... In this country, we were very eccentric. In the early noise, we, we marched over Iraq and fox hunting, I think. <laughs> I, I, so I would march over mandatory vaccines and tea. And tea. See, mate, where do you live, Jeff? Because the last time I paid £2.70 for tea in a restaurant was about 1984. Do you know what I mean? I was only two, two years old. That was another thing that Orwell was right about. My, my, my point still stands. <laughs> Very good. My point still stands, though. It's like, in London now, it's like five quid just for the cup. Just five, yeah. Look, mate, this is why you've got... Well, Cheese extra, mate. You've you got, you got to get out, mate. For what, probably what you're living in now. I've got, I live like a fucking king out here in rural Cambridgeshire. I mean, there's fuck all here, and it cost me a £1,000 to get into London, but I, I do have a reasonable amount of floor space. Listen, Constantine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast at short notice. I really wanted to scratch your brain about this and you had so much fascinating stuff to say. As usual, uh, just before we go, I mean, we've, we've mentioned the hype for the, uh, the live shows, the stuff that's online. Anything else? No, that's it. Just uh, follow me on Twitter at Constantine Kissing and our YouTube channel is Trigonometry. Constantine Kissing, thank you very much for being on the show and we will be back with another topical episode. Thank you. What must people think?